0: You know, Paul says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. How can we use the word not to destroy lives, but to save lives? Thanks friends for joining us today on the line of fire. Phone lines are open 866-34-truth 866-3487884. Hope you had a blessed weekend. If you had a rough weekend, hopefully this week is starting off better for you. If things are really bad, well let's look to the Lord together. He brings light out of darkness, he brings good out of evil, he brings triumph out of tragedy. He's a redeemer. He's amazing. The most wicked thing done in human history, human beings nailing the Son of God to the cross, was God's means of saving wicked human beings. Our God is a redeemer. Those things that have been stumbling blocks can become stepping stones. You know, even the workout adage, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Well, it's often not the case. Many times things destroy lives. Many times we go through hardship and and it hurts us. We remain bitter for years. Marriages are destroyed, finances are destroyed, health is destroyed and it seems we can never recover. But I'm telling you, with God, even the darkest most horrific circumstance can be used for good. Romans 8:28 is true. I've been following the Lord now 48 years. That's amazing. That's I'm, I'm amazed at God's grace and goodness since I was 16 years old. I'm 64 now. And I can tell you Romans 8.28 is more real to me now than it ever was. By the way, I didn't plan on sharing any of this. I was just greeting you at the beginning of the week. But I'm sure this is for many of you. There are enough people listening and watching that this will apply. What does it say? We know that all things work together for good. To those who are what? We are called by God. We are chosen by God. We are being conformed to be like His Son. And what's happening in this world, God will use. If we'll humble ourselves and submit ourselves to Him, even stupid things we've done that we deeply, deeply regret, if we honor the Lord, He can turn them around for good. I was just speaking to someone and talking about some things that this person regretted, and I said, as you honor the Lord, the good that will come out of it will be 100 times greater than the bad that was done. 866 truth is the number to call. I do want to talk to you about the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit. What does Paul mean by that? As I was praying and thinking about where to go on today's broadcast and, and wanting to encourage you— As a believer to push back against the darkness, to stand for what's right, to be an ambassador of good, an ambassador of reconciliation, to be used to help solve the problems of this messed up world as opposed to exacerbate the problems of this messed up world. We want to talk about the role and purpose of Scripture and how we use the Bible as the sword of the Spirit, not to hurt people, not to batter them not to slice them up in a way that that destroys, but in a way that gives life. We demolish lies, we expose falsehoods, we shine light in dark places, and and in doing so, set people free. We'll talk about that in a little while. But first, the impeachment hearings. Let me back away to last week when it was announced that Benjamin Netanyahu – who is currently the prime minister of Israel. There's not a government coalition, but he is currently the prime minister of Israel and the longest running prime minister of any in our history, in, in Israel's history. So he has now officially been indicted on corruption charges. Yeah, I mean, the parallels between Israel and America continue to be striking. And he called the charges a witch hunt. And I've, I've read both sides of this. I've read the sides that say the guy's guilty. There's no question he's guilty. And others are like, are you kidding me? You're going to try to bring down the prime minister with nonsense like this and being called a witch hunt? I thought, how interesting, how parallel to things happening in America. Now, there's no debating that the Democrats were talking about impeaching Trump before he was even in office. I mean, he was elected, but hadn't even started uh, as president. All right. And there was talk about impeaching him and and there's been talk about it through his entire presidency now going on three years. So the the current impeachment hearings, that's no surprise. And the Democrats have been trying to take him down since day one. But has the Ukraine call and the, the surrounding events have those given fuel to the fire to say, well, he should be impeached. There should be a formal trial over this. We should see if he should be removed or not. So I I posted a question on Twitter today, and and here's the question. Uh, It says this. Did you follow the impeachment hearings last week? If so, what was your impression? And indicate whether you consider yourself for Trump or not for him. The choices are in parentheses. So Twitter, you can give four choices, but you have a limit of 25 characters per choice. So you have to figure out how you're going to say what you're saying. So... We gave two choices for each group, those that say they're for Trump, those who say they're not for him. And again, I know there's – well, I don't really fit in either – I I understand that. Well, I was for him, but – I know, but we can only get so nuanced in a Twitter poll, all right? So 272 votes so far, and the choices were, is it a witch hunt or is it fair and sober? And are you for Trump or not for Trump? So – this way, you have two categories those who are for Trump, those who are not, and then you can divide within each category. Now, here's what I find fascinating. Thus far, 79% of the voters say they're for Trump and 21% not for Trump. So, that was not a big surprise that the people that are following me on Twitter are more conservative and more pro Trump than not pro Trump. That's not a surprise. All right, I I figured it'd be between two-thirds and three-quarters, so we're right about there, maybe slightly higher. So 79% identifies being for him, and 21% not for him, all right? Now, now here's what's interesting. Out of those who say they're for him, it's what, 74% to 5% saying that they believe it was a witch hunt as opposed to fair and sober. The impeachment hearings are a witch hunt as opposed to being fair and sober. So if if you look at that, that is basically what sixteen. Let's see if it's almost fifteen to one, right? Fifteen times five is seventy-five. So almost fifteen to one in terms of those who identify as for Trump say that they believe this is a witch hunt. Only one compared to fifteen think it's fair and sober. All right, you say, well, no surprise, they're for Trump. Okay, but look at this, look at this. And you weigh in, go ahead on in the YouTube comments and Facebook comments, weigh in and say where you, where you fit on this. You're pro-Trump, anti-Trump, and you think it's a witch hunt or fair and sober. Make sure you give both pieces of information so we can more readily assess your position. But here's what I find interesting. Of the 21% who say they're not for Trump, 13% say it's a witch hunt, and eight percent say that the impeachment hearings are fair and sober. All right, so that means it's almost two to one, almost right? Two to two to one would be sixteen percent to eight percent. All right, so it's it's almost two to one of those who say that they are not for Trump, who believe that the impeachment hearings are a witch hunt. Now, again, it's it's only a few hundred votes. Okay. Only 272 votes. Since I started talking, uh, it's it's gone up just a few more. So just to give you an idea, uh, let's see. Oh, what happened? There we go. 278 votes. So you see, it's just gone up a few. We're not going to have thousands and thousands of responses. And again, it is people that still, even if they're not for Trump, are following me on Twitter. Right? 21% of the people. Nonetheless, it's instructive that among those who say they're for Trump, About 15 to 1 say this is a witch hunt. Choose between witch hunt, fair and sober, witch hunt. Those who say they are not for Trump, almost 2 to 1 from them, they say witch hunt versus fair and sober. I'm just wondering how it's playing out in front of the general public. I understand President Trump has raised a lot of money in a very short period of time based on this. I've read that in terms of independent voters, the impeachment hearings are not swaying them against Trump, that in some battleground states, the polling is more against the impeachment hearings than for. Again, this is all obviously in a state of flux, and we're still early on in all of this. And that's why I told you weeks ago, I'm not going to be doing daily commentary because things are going to shift back and forth and our emotions will just get caught up. And it's all that we would end up talking about. So we're not going to do that. It's one, there are others doing it. Let them do it and follow them. And and even on the stream where I post regularly, uh, my articles are on many other sites as well, but you'll get great commentary on the impeachment hearings there on the stream from other uh, solid Christian leaders. So go there, stream.org, follow it, follow it on whatever websites and news outlets that you do. But I just encourage you, don't get all caught up in this. If it is a witch hunt, in fact, if it's just a lame attempt to exercise some kind of a coup and illegally, illicitly, wrongly take the president down, it'll backfire. It'll backfire. And it'll backfire with voters voting overwhelmingly in 2020. If there's a lot of junk and corruption and things going on that shouldn't be going on, that should not be going on with any presidency, well, then let everything come to light. Why? How? You say, well, it's no different than other presidents and it's just the Democrats trying to take somebody out. Well, then let it come to light. Well, it's just the Republicans trying to cover up and let it come to light. Let everything work itself out and then you can act with greater wisdom. You say, Franklin Graham has said that what's happening with the impeachment is it's demonic. Well, if in fact... It is an illegitimate attempt to unseat a duly elected leader, the president of the United States, one of the most influential human beings on the planet, whoever the president is, and all the more when it's someone like Trump, for better or for worse. So yes, it would be demonic if there was an illicit, illegal, ungodly attempt to take someone out of power that was rightly elected and rightly appointed to be there. But is that just partisan politics talking? Is that Franklin Graham talking as a conservative who's going to vote Republican? Well, people are going to weigh that out. But if, in fact, this is something illicit, yeah, it would be demonic. You say, how do I pray? Say, God, your best. God, your best. Bring about your best out of this for Donald Trump, for the Republican Party, for the Democrat Party for the people of America, for the Church of America. Accomplish your best plans through this. It's a prayer God will answer, friends. Phone lines are open, all questions welcome.
1: It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Because we're going to be talking a little while about God's Word, the Bible, as a sword of the Spirit or the sword of the Spirit if you have any Bible-related questions, anything you want to ask me about, biblical language-type questions, theology questions, we'll take those, 866-34-TRUTH. So you may have followed some of my articles about Chick-fil-A and saying they, in fact, capitulated to LGBTQ activists. And you, you say, you first might say, Mike, why do you give the whole alphabet thing, L, G, B, T, Q? Well, I, I do it to say, that's how you want to identify, that further underscores the impossibility of this position, that the, the alphabet identifications keep growing, the, the groups that now have to have rights, special rights and recognition for their identification keep growing, and on and on. Uh, there was a, a, a woman a birth coach in, in England that just recently resigned because people were upset with her saying only women can have babies. Yeah, this is the crazy world in which we live. So my referring to it in those terms is also saying, yeah, go ahead, have at it, just further proves our point. But we had said plainly that Chick-fil-A had capitulated to LGBTQ activists and were grieved over it and urged them to turn and do the right thing. And one reason I was confident this was the case was that Mike Huckabee, who certainly has access to Chick-fil-A leadership, came out very plainly, strongly about this, and then reiterated again uh, after that. And is that the current one? LGBTQQIP2SAA. I'm going to interrupt myself for a second here. So, okay, lesbian. I'm going to try to get it first. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, pansexual, two-sex... Androgynous and asexual. Okay, two spirit. All right, I got everything else. I got the rest of it accurately. Two S, two spirit, androgynous and asexual. And again, that's just a list. It gets longer and again further underscores what we're saying in terms of once you open the door to all kinds of genders and sexes and sexual identities and orientations, there's no limit. There's no limit. Anything can be created. And then is each one there supposed to have special rights because of that? OK, slight tangent. Anyway, Frank and Graham, of course, called Dan Cathy and asked Dan Cathy, as leader of Chick-fil-A, is it true? Have you capitulated to LGBTQ activists? No, absolutely not. We're going to keep giving as we're giving, and it's nothing, nothing to do with their activism, etc. Well, sadly, it's not accurate. It's not accurate. It's, it's simply not accurate. Uh, Matt Staver has written very strongly about this. Attorney Matt Staver with Liberty Council. Tony Perkins with Family Research Council has spoken very plainly about this. And these are all people well-connected and with access to Chick-fil-A leadership if they needed it and highly respected and doing their research first. So not only did Chick-fil-A stop funding Campus Crusade and Salvation Army and Paul Anderson's uh, Youth House, I forget the exact name of that, uh, one. A couple years back and the others just now stopped funding them. But what they are funding and announcing and talking about Covenant House has been on the front lines of being gay affirming. Not just we care for everyone and we provide housing for homeless youth for everyone. Yeah, do it for everyone. Absolutely. Do it for everyone. But they are gay affirming. All right. And they're doing it in, allegedly in Christ's name. Not only so, I'm just looking at another article here. Chick-fil-A Foundation director is Hillary Clinton, Obama uh, Obama donor, Rodney Bullard. And he would be going in a very different direction than many of us would want to go. He'd be thinking this is the right way to go and we'd be thinking it's the wrong way to go. So some serious changes have been made that are in the wrong direction. Now, if you're going to Chick-fil-A, it's simply that you like food there. And like the the family setting there, and it's never had anything to do with their Christian stand. And you've never gone there to show solidarity—that's one thing. It's another thing to say, "Yeah, I was showing solidarity, and this was this was a, a, something I liked to do, and it made me feel good about it." Now I'm going to have to reconsider. So be it. I, what I'm curious to see is what's going to happen to their overall profits in the days ahead. I don't mean because of a Christian boycott. I just mean because of absence of God's blessing or presence of God's blessing, it's, it's going to be interesting to see and learn from it. alright six six three four 866-34-TRUTH. One other thing I want to get to, and then we'll start in Ephesians 6. I started off the broadcast talking about how God can turn things around, and use our bad decisions, our bad moves, our our wrong things. Use those wrong things we do and turn them around for good. If someone tries to hurt you and God uses it to help you, someone's going to slander you and instead that gets the true story out that you weren't going to tell, now it gets it out. Uh, Here, I'll give you an example. When our first Consider This video came out, Can You Be Gay and Christian? There was a whole hubbub about it because it was advertised on YouTube. So with Google ad money, it wasn't much, a couple thousand dollars maybe. We paid for advertising and that meant it was going out on all different YouTube channels and it went on the YouTube channels of some gay activists and transgender activists and others and they were furious. How in the world did someone goes to watch one of their videos, and these people have millions of followers, someone goes to watch one of their videos, and here is me. Can you be gay and Christian? They were outraged how did this happen. And By the way, that wasn't our intent. We were trying to get it really with conservative viewers, Christian viewers, Bible believers dealing with these issues. To me, I I would not intrude on on the YouTube channels of those that differed with us deeply and had issues with us. That would not be a right thing for me to do. But in any case, that wasn't our intent. That's just what happened. Well, it led to an outcry. And next thing, everybody's talking about it. I, I, I mean to Business Insider and Fortune magazine, if I remember, just reaching out for comments and writing about it. And it, en- it ends up Google issues an apology. Ours is one of the ads. I didn't reference it by name, but that caused the apology. They they offer an apology and they're they're – grieved over what happened and didn't mean this. And, And then we found out it went up to a VP with Google who reviewed it because there were complaints from Google employees. How is this ad being advertised on YouTube? And it was a big story. It ended up being a very big story. But more importantly... It, everywhere you looked on gay websites there, the video was plastered, my face and the video and a link to it. So people are going to watch it that wouldn't have watched it. And some would be impacted in a positive way that's going to happen if enough people watch it. And then it gets even more publicity because some of these folks with millions of followers on YouTube, very creative the way they present things, they're playing snippets. The video One one must have played maybe two minutes of snippets. I mean, change my voice, turn me upside down, making fun of it, but they're still playing it, all right? And when I checked it months back, a good number of months back, I went back to some of those YouTube channels that had been playing the video to oppose us, to mock us, that combined, those videos were viewed more than 30 million, not thousand, 30 million times. So as our video was viewed maybe 150,000 times on our YouTube channel, somewhere around there, on these others, little snippets of it were viewed 30 million times. And I just looked at that and said, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God has a way of getting a message out and smiling on something. People meant to harm us, God used it for good. Think of the story of Joseph in the Bible. And and I want to encourage you, some of you really need to take this to heart, all right, because people are trying to hurt you, or you're going through rough times, or you've made some mistakes and now you're trying to fix things. So Joseph, yeah, he he talks too much. He, He doesn't have the wisdom that he needs. He has these amazing dreams from God and amazing promise of the future, but he's full of himself on a certain level. He gets sold into slavery by his own brothers at the age of 17. He ends up suffering in Egypt, ends up in a dungeon in Egypt. He's 30 years old. So 13 years as a slave or as a prisoner. 13 years out of 30. So all of his mature life basically has been spent in prison or as a slave. And then overnight, he gets raised up to be Pharaoh's right-hand man. If he had not been sold into slavery, he never would have been Pharaoh's right-hand man. Think of it. If he just grew up and and, and was a shepherd boy with his family— and, and was anointed and had dreams and had lots of wisdom and all this, he just would have been living there in the land of Canaan. And that's it. But because of what his brothers did, what is it? what does he say? Hey, he said to his brothers, you didn't send me, God sent me. Well, they were responsible. They were responsible, have to give account to God for it. And yet behind that was the hand of God. Behind that, God had a plan. So he works even through human sin and human weakness and human failure to bring about a greater plan. So I just want to encourage you. It's strongly on my heart, friends, strongly on my heart, that some of you, instead of just feeling like I'm a victim and it's all bad and everybody's hurt me, turn this around and say, okay, Father, how could this be used for good? Lord, demonstrate the power of the cross through this situation. Demonstrate the power of redemption through this situation. What people mean for evil What circumstances mean for evil, what Satan means for evil, turn it around for greater good. The first and greatest good is that we become conformed more and more and more to the image of Jesus. The first and greatest good is that we are drawn in to him and become more and more like him and walk more closely with him. But then many, many other things God will do to cause things to work for good. Don't get all worked up and in a frenzy in yourself that's not going to help anything. Lean on the Lord. Do what you know how to do from your part and watch and see what God will do. All right, we're going to look at Ephesians 6 when we come back. Stay right here.
1: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Number to call 866-34-TRUTH. All right. When I lived in Pensacola, Florida, as a New Yorker, New York Jew, born in New York City, raised on Long Island, my personality was very different than the Pensacola personality. I just moved faster and just kind of always in a hurry and, and drive differently and everything like that. So it was kind of culture shock for the people there and culture shock for me. And one particular trip, I was on my way to Canada. And I thought, ah, it's going to be in a totally different culture here and out of the south. And I loved living there. It was great living there. But, you know, I was getting out of the south for a little while. So I'm on this plane. We fly from Pensacola into Atlanta, then Atlanta into Minnesota. And I'm in Minnesota, and I'm thinking, boy, this, people on the plane, they don't sound Canadian. They don't sound Minnesotan. They, they sound more like they're from the south, maybe deep south. We get on the plane, and I happen to notice at a certain point there are almost no women on the plane. Out of maybe 175 passengers, I think there were five females. I'm talking to a guy across from me. Where are you from? L.A., Lower Alabama. I said, oh, Pensacola now, but New York originally. He goes, you know how I feel about New York? You just cut that off, let it fall off down the water. That's how I feel about New York. I thought, okay, well, what are you going to count for? Hunting, man. Hunting. It's a hunting flight. Then I look around and realize, whoa, almost everybody on this flight looks like a hunter. I mean, they could have been Duck Dynasty cast, that kind of thing. All right? So... We, we now arrive, and it's a pretty small airport in Canada. In fact, one that's really not ready to accommodate good-sized crowds coming in that have to go through customs and all this. But during hunting season, the numbers swell. Otherwise, smaller planes go in. So now, and look, I get there. I've been traveling for hours and hours. I'm going to have a busy ministry schedule. So I want to get there. I want to get to the hotel and crash or whatever time of day or night it is or get writing, do whatever I'm going to do. But now baggage claim takes forever because you, you have to identify your baggage. And and you've got to because there were people were traveling with weapons, all right? So you've you've gotta say, hey, I've yeah, I've got this, two shotguns here, whatever. That's me. So you've got to call it out and then they go in and inspect I'm thinking, this is wild, I can't believe it's taking so long. So finally, you get all that sorted out, and now the final thing is we're, you know, waiting, and you have to identify the bags, kind of like an unusual order of what you did first, and now the final going through passport control, and lady said, you have any weapons? I said, yes, the Bible, the sword and spirit. <laughs> I was just frustrated, but also having a little fun. I said, I'm here for ministry. I'm speaking at a church conference, and she smiled. Yeah, but— the Bible is not a weapon that we wield to hit people over the head with it. Many in the gay community refer to the clobber passages, the passages in the Bible that explicitly forbid homosexual practice. And they say that you're trying to clobber us over the head with those passages. And probably when I was a new believer, I, I used the Bible in a, in a way that it was a weapon that offended people, not because of the truth, but because of the way I used it. There was, I was going to use the Bible to defend my views and use them with my forceful personality, as opposed to presenting the truth of Scripture to set people free and bring them into the light. So, in what ways is the Bible the sword of the Spirit? How should we understand this? Because, again, it is the principal offensive weapon God has used us in, in terms of defeating powers of darkness and advancing the kingdom of God. So let's take a look in Ephesians chapter six, Ephesians chapter six, and Paul is writing there and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verses we've been looking at recently in terms of, of uh, Jezebel, in terms of spiritual warfare, Put on the full armor of God so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So there's a real devil who's scheming. If you say, well, I think he's bound right now when we're in the spiritual millennial kingdom, with all respect, forget about it. He's not. He goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is deceiving. He is seducing. He is destroying. And we need to be on our alert. All right? So put on the full armor of God so that you're able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What would that suggest that if we don't put on the full armor of God, we won't be able to stand against the schemes of the devil? That's that's just reality. Look, if if you're a a top-level athlete competing against other top-level athletes, you know you have to be in shape to compete against them. It's not a fear thing. It's a motivation to be in shape. And if you're in shape, you'll do just fine. So we may be weak in ourselves. We may be lacking in ourselves, but we're called to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you are able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Friends, you may have people opposing you. You you may have circumstances against you. But ultimately your struggle is not merely against people but against the rulers against the powers against the worldly forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places there is a concerted systematic organized satanic attack against the human race in particular against the people of God and we need divine weapons to fight, all right? It's, it's almost like you're going to be doing all your battle at, at night in the military, so you need night vision goggles. Without those, you're not going to be able to see the enemy. With them, you'll be able to see the enemy and defeat the enemy. So, therefore, therefore, take up the full armor of God. Notice again, full armor, one all of it. I've been convicted about that in prayer. How consciously am I clothing myself with everything God has given me? Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist when the times are evil and after you have done everything to stand firm. We do not have to be casualties, friends. We do not have to be defeated. We do not have to be crushed. We do not have to constantly be languishing in a deep pit of despair and hopelessness because we fall so far short. God's grace is sufficient and God's power in us is greater than the power of the evil one. Stand firm then. Buckle the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. All right, so we're called not to be wavering, but to stand firm, again, in God's strength. Buckle the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness, okay? So the belt of truth buckled around our waist. And we could get into details of the imagery here. I want to focus more on the the sword of the Spirit, but just very basically the, the, the belt of truth holding things together in our lives. Truth must be foundational. We must be people of the truth, people who walk in truth, who are people of integrity. We do not live by the lie. Yes, Jesus is the truth, but I don't think it just means put Jesus on, all right? But but specifically, yes, the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. In Isaiah 59, as we point out in Jezebel's War with America, In Isaiah 59, we we learn that this, metaphorically speaking, is the breastplate that God wears. It it is righteousness. It is vindication. It is victory. And that's what we wear, all right? So that, that enables us to withstand the attacks and the lies that come against us. This is armor, right? Strap up your feet in readiness with the good news of peace, the good news of shalom. So wherever you go, you go as an ambassador to the gospel. This is, this is how we overcome the enemy, friends. The, sharing the gospel, doing outreach, is not just for other people. It strengthens us and helps us further push back the works of darkness. Strap up in your feet, readiness with the good news of peace above all. Take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Okay, so, a few things there. Notice, above all, and Kai, we can leave the text up. Uh, Above all, this this is especially important. This is going to tie in with everything else. Above all, take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, if you're struggling with your faith, I'm not here to pile on. If you're struggling with your faith, I'm not here to say, well, just have more faith. What's the matter with you? Rather, I'm encouraging you to get built up in your faith through communion with God, through meditation on the Word of God, through reading edifying stories and testimonies. Be built up in faith. Be built up in Grace. And otherwise, we're sitting ducks. Lies come in, attacks come in. You fight them with faith. You fight them off. But how can I know? Yes, sometimes it feels overwhelming. And those intimidating spirits of fear and lies, but it's the shield of faith where we can quench the fiery darts, the flaming arrows of the wicked one. So these flaming arrows, not only do they they hurt you when they hit, but now they burn. Everything's going to go wrong. God's not going to heal you. That your child will never be saved. Your marriage will never come together. You're it's all going. It's going to be bad. It's getting worse. It's burns and the shield of faith stops them before they get in there. Boom, boom, and take the helmet of salvation again. Isaiah fifty nine. God wears that. So it doesn't just mean being saved, right? I know that I'm saved, but it also means it, the helmet of triumph all right, it is victorious helmet, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So this would be telling us that the sword that the Holy Spirit uses is the Word of God, that our spiritual sword is the Word of God. And we see in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel that when Satan comes to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, Matthew 4 and Luke 4, that it is scripture that Jesus uses to combat the devil. It really is a sword. So I want to spend the rest of the broadcast focusing on what ways God's word is a sword. Stay right here.
1: It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I uh, just put together a little list of different ways in
0: which the Bible is the sword of the Spirit and can be used as the sword of the Spirit. I want to say again, it's not something that we used to hurt people. All right, look, when I was a new believer, and then I'd memorized 20 verses a day for six months straight, I've been memorizing a good number of verses before that. So here I am, not even 18 years old, and I've memorized 4,000 verses, and I'm full of zeal but not all that much wisdom. I'm growing in wisdom little by little, right? But not all that much wisdom and certainly need to grow a lot in compassion. So you better believe I could, drrr, I could quote scripture. If I was having an argument with you and I thought I was right about something, boom, I'd quote scripture to justify my position. That's, that's not how we use the Bible, all right? That, that's not what we mean by sword of the spirit. I'm gonna attack somebody with the word of God, and bash them over the head with the Bible, no, no, we're called Bible bashers, and we're accused of that, and some are guilty of it. But that's not what we mean, all right? So on the, on the one hand, we see, as I mentioned, Matthew 4, Luke 4, we see how the, the Word of God can be used as a sword when Jesus is dealing with Satan. So Satan's coming with things that sound good, even quoting Scripture. He's going to misuse it, right? It can be misused. Satan can quote the Bible. Let's always remember that. Well, I was just talking to a guy from a cult, and they used the Bible. Yeah, Satan quotes the Bible. Oh, I was telling this person, and they advocate every kind of weird sexual thing and justify and they quote the Bible. Or they're quoting the Bible to justify cannabis use, <clears throat> people can quote the Bible for all kinds of purposes. Satan can quote the Bible. It can be misused. We understand that. But Satan comes, and Jesus doesn't the Son of God, hear this, the Son of God does not fight Satan with his own strength simply as the Son of God saying, I rebuke you, which he had all power and all authority to do as the Son of God. Rather, he used scripture. It is written, it is written, it is written. Say, so, so what's happening? You are driving back temptation. You are driving back lies. So let's say you're, you're a married woman. And you're really struggling with your marriage. Your, your husband is not walking with the Lord right now. You married in the Lord, but he's backslidden. He's neglecting you. He hasn't been intimate with you in months. He hasn't shown you affection in months. He talks down to you. It's, it's very upsetting. And, and you feel just rejected and hurt. But there's a nice guy at work and seems to be, you know, very wholesome guy and pays attention to you. And, and seems to have more interest in you in a day than your husband does in a month, and and these thoughts start hitting. Well, look, maybe there are grounds for divorce because kind of like incompatible now, or I'm being neglected, and maybe, you know, maybe there's something here. And, and next thing, this guy is he realizes there's an open door here, and he's going to try to, you know, take off with you somewhere for a weekend. And suddenly, the scripture speak, boom, lotin off. You shall not commit adultery. In reality, oh, reality just hit. You come out of the trance. You, oh, okay. That's clear. I don't, I'm wondering, is it, can I do this? Would it be if I take this money in from the business here? Do not steal. Lotignov And oh, boom, it hits and you realize, okay, I, that's, that is stealing. So the Word of God has that power. Hebrews 4.12 talks about it being sharpened in a two-edged sword, double-edged sword, and it pierces the very division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, discerning even the, the thoughts of the heart, all right? The thoughts and intents of the heart. So, so the Word of God just slices through that temptation and slices through that fog of deception. And remember, this, we're in battle with the enemy, with Satan, Right? with demonic powers, with lies, it slices through those things. And in doing so, brings clarity and and brings things into the light because the Word of God is light and it exposes the darkness. And I don't know if if you've had that happen where you're kind of in an emotional state and you're morally confused and suddenly someone comes with a scriptural truth and, oh, clarity, the fog lifts, you can see clearly again. Okay, got it. The more that we have the word of God memorized, and you may not be able to get chapter and verse as well as just the truth of the scriptures, but get it in however you can. The more that it's resident in your heart, Psalm 119, the psalmist says, I've, I've hid my word, uh, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So having it in your heart, having it in your mind, when temptation comes, when deception comes, boom it's it's a weapon it's a sword that cuts through that uh, also related to the second corinthians 10 paul says that that we we cast down imaginations every thought that would exalt itself against the knowledge of christ we cast it down we also do that with the truth of the word but we do it not just in our own lives but in our communities so there there are strongholds of lies say about quote gay christianity there are strongholds of lies about abortion being a blessing there are strongholds of lies about other things in our culture uh, about the blurring of gender distinctions and things like that and and we bring these foreign thoughts captive to truth by the word of god many times as i've been asked to speak on controversial issues leaders will thank me and say okay there's just clarity now there's clarity it's, it's because we bring forth the truth of the Word of God. Here's another way that the Word of God is a sword, the sword of the Spirit. Picture people tied up with ropes. Just, just picture this image, right? Satan has come and tied them up with ropes of fear and depression and discouragement and self-loathing. He's tied them up with sinful ropes of greed and lust and anger and corruption and murder. And they are bound in sin and destined for destruction. And we come with the sword of the spirit, the gospel message, which is a message of liberation. We come with that sword and slice those ropes off. Now, I was going to use chains, but we have to be quite a sword to cut the chains. I'm just giving you a physical image, but God's word can cut off all kinds of change, it brings liberty. It brings liberation. It brings freedom. It brings healing. It brings deliverance. It is a sword that fights back against the works of Satan, fights back to set captives free, fights back against temptation, fights back against strongholds of the imagination, and it proclaims Jesus as Lord. I I remember distinctly when we lived on Long Island in 1983, in the fall of 1983, a bunch of things all went wrong at the same time. Most of them small, some bigger, but all at the same time. A physical attack on a family member, physical attack on me. I don't mean I don't mean someone physically attacking, like a fist fight or something like that. I mean, me getting sick. I mean, my daughter taking a, a fall and, and having her older daughter and these you know, knots on her head, you know, how bad was the fall and she concussed. And, and then uh, I guess it was fall going into winter. As, as ice was forming outside our house, we saw with the windows that, that ice was coming into the house and it, it could destroy the walls and all this. And then I'd left my job. I was gonna be teaching now full-time at Christ for the Nations. This was the transition period where we had basically no money. But my final commission with this company I'd work with was a big sale I would got was going to be $5,000 commissions. This is 1983, right? Our salary low enough back then anyway. And that was going to get us through and all that. And then I get a call that the thing fell through and the people weren't going to do it. And it's just, I remember the bottom falling out and I just, it was just all little, right? No one was dying of cancer. No one gotten in a car wreck, right? We weren't bankrupt. But at that moment, all cumulatively, it just wore me out. And I remember I I thought, I'm I'm just going to sleep. I'm tired. I'm going to do war in the morning. And I got up in the morning. You know what I did? I meditated on Ephesians 1. I prayed in the Spirit extensively, which is what Paul gets to in in the very next verse in Ephesians 6, praying in the Spirit. I prayed in the Spirit extensively, and I meditated on, on Ephesians 1. And I meditated on the fact that the same Spirit lived in me the same spirit that had raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the highest place, that that power was now at work in me as a believer. And when that consciousness hit me, when the spiritual reality of it hit me at that moment, I then took authority over the enemy. I just sensed in this particular case, these were demonic attacks. I just sensed that was happening and boom, everything turned around. I didn't get that job, but we were helped with 5,000 from someone else that, we were, that, that got us through. But everything else basically instantly reversed, just bing, instantly and quite supernaturally because I was an eyewitness to it. But what happened was that reality of what was written in the Word took hold of my consciousness. And once it did, I was able to use the, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, take the name of Jesus, rebuke this demonic attack, again, in this particular case, it happened to be a demonic attack. Other, other times things happen that are not specifically a demonic attack. This was, and in Jesus' name, victory came. I understand in the overall scheme of things, it's small. But at that moment, it was a bit overwhelming. And what changed everything, and it's happened hundreds and hundreds of times in many other situations in my life and in all of your lives, infinite times if we think of everybody else out there almost infinite, what happens is the truth of the word becomes real to us. We take hold of it and we exercise that truth to demolish lies, to demolish darkness. In Jesus' name. Hey, friends, we've got an important interview coming your way tomorrow. It's going to be eye-opening. Some major things happening in Tennessee that you should know about. It could affect the whole nation. Back with you tomorrow.